Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Pure Hoops podcast, it is Thursday, January 28th. Uh, I have to be honest, I'm having trouble keeping track of the time and the days and the weeks that go by. And... um, we unfortunately have to start the show with uh, some sad news. Um, somebody we both uh, know and respect from the industry has been a guest on our show and uh, a few of the other Pure Hoops Media shows. Uh, Seku Smith from NBA, NBA Media, writer, on-air talent and persona, uh, passed away age 48 due to COVID. And BJ, uh, when you called me after we... Uh, we got the news. It literally felt like he was on the podcast with us like a month ago. Yeah. You know, first and foremost, um, we want to be respectful to his family and what he meant to so many people. Um, not only us. And I had a chance to know him personally and spend time with him over the years. One of the, the kindest people that I've met always had a positive word, always very thoughtful and just, just another tragic story and events um, seemed like he was just on our show recently and we're talking basketball and he was fabulous. Get a chance, you know, um, he, he, he was just great. And uh, when I heard the news and I was just, you know, it's like one of those like surreal moments, like what, what are you talking about? Like, and, um, so my, my prayers to his family and, uh, but I'm just thankful that I have an opportunity to spend time with him and, and, uh, you know, and, you know, he was, he was a friend. So just want to be respectful and, and say, you know what, he will be, uh, he will be dearly, dearly, you know, missed. And, uh, I'm just, you know, praying to, for him and his family that they can somehow, to uplift them and get through this as well. It's another reminder of um, appreciating the great people you get to meet doing what you love to do. And um, it's just, it, it's crazy we're, we're at this point with this uh, this virus and, and just where we are with everything that's gone on literally since a year ago. And obviously Tuesday of this week was uh, a year to the day of uh, Kobe Bryant's tragic passing. So with all of that going on and uh, those dedications and uh, specials and social media posts, 
um, many of which were very, very, very heartfelt. And then to get this news, um, so I was talking to you that night. I just, I, I took the phone. I kind of just, you know, soft tossed it to the other end of the couch. I'm like, I'm, I'm not looking at this again till later. I, I, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. But you summed it up perfectly. Uh, tremendous guy. I mean, I was getting messages from people that I used to do like Bleacher Report team stream videos with, where Seku was one of our uh, consistent Skype contributors back in the day. And, right. Um, you just never know, man. You never know. So that's right. That's right. Um, on that note, let's uh, let's pivot to some hoops. Um, before I get into my rundown, um, throwing it to you, what's what's been the what's been the highlight of your hoops week? Something you saw, something you enjoyed, something that surprised uh, you. What's what's been the highlight of your hoops? The highlight week? is is seemed like besides the, of course besides of course talking to talking to me. Yes, absolutely. Besides you, which is the highlight of my my life. Um, wow. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna send this out to all the fellas. The, okay. the 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 teams are beginning to you know to separate themselves. You can yep. see that the teams now are beginning to separate themselves um in the conferences i thought that was a huge win last night for philadelphia for their confidence i didn't like how they finished the game they were up big 13 14 points in the last three minutes or so but let's, overall let's, they let's, came let's out start, they came and, out with and the, let's with start the there let's start there so um you know what was really interesting about going to that game last night is the Lakers had not yet lost a road game. Um, we both obviously talked about how well Philly has been playing and um, you hit it on the head. They, they blow a lead and Tobias Harris makes a big shot. They end up uh, winning the game. What does Philly and Doc take from this experience against the Lakers, you think? Well, they get a chance to learn about themselves. And that was a great barometer game for them because, you know, Philly has the best record in the Eastern Conference. They've been playing terrific basketball when healthy. In particular, Joel Embiid has had a very nice start to the beginning of the season. And you can see this team beginning to gain confidence in how they play and what they're going to do. So um, I, I, I thought this was a game where they're gonna, they have an opportunity to learn about themselves. They're playing at home. You first want to establish that you can win at home against anybody. In particular, now you're playing against arguably the best team in the NBA. And let's see where we're at. They, for the most part, played a great game until the end. They didn't finish it well. I thought it would have been devastating for their confidence if they would have lost that game. But somehow, you know, Tobias Harris hits a, a nice shot to end the game, and they go on to win the game, which it's better to learn why you're winning. So this was a good game for them. This was a good game for their confidence, but more importantly, allows them to figure out who they are, what they could be. The only thing that I, I was interested in in watching how they closed that game was who's going to get the ball at the end of the game. And last night, there's no question that Joel Embiid is the best player on their team. But now they're going to have to figure out how to handle the pressure because the defense turned up late in the game 
and they didn't do a good job of handling that pressure at the guard position. And they weren't able to get the ball to their best player in what we would term operating areas on the floor. You know, the, 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 the Lakers had no answer for Joel Embiid. You know, as great of a defender that Anthony Davis is, Marcus Soule, at one point, you know, he was the, you know, he was the defensive player. He was the defensive player of the year. He was a, he was a, he was, I hate to say, top five defensive player in the league. They have no answer for Joel. They have no answer for Joel Embiid. Now. No. And the reason I point that out is because that may be the only player that Anthony Davis can't match up with one-on-one in the entire Hmm. league. Very good point. He may be the only player. Now, that matchup is only key if they can get Joel Embiid the ball in operating areas where he can operate. But that may be a problem for the Lakers. Joel Embiid is a problem for the Lakers. Now, Anthony Davis, for the most part, was able to contain Jokic for parts or key parts of the game. But Jimby, he doesn't have an answer for him. Now, now you got to start asking, if that is the case, maybe this is a team that can match up. It's all about matchups. There's nothing that Marcus Soule, Montrez Harrell, or Anthony Davis can do with him. And that was interesting to me because I think the Lakers know it. For the most part, Philadelphia, they did a really nice job. They did a really nice job. Now, the Lakers are going to go back, make adjustments, do things, so forth and so on. But that matchup, one-on-one, mano-a-mano, there's nothing they can do. So, if you're L.A., and obviously, you know, they only see them twice, and we're thinking way, way ahead, but um, A, and I was back and forth between a number of games. I was kind of split-screening last night with everything going on. Um, did they run any hedges at him? Did they run any doubles at him? And if you're LA, do you have to think about that more knowing now who else is on the floor with him, which is more capable shooting overall than Philadelphia had a year ago? Well, the part of being a great team like the Lakers, you don't ever have to compromise your defense. The Lakers don't have to compromise their defense. You know, they, they can defend mano a mano. They pride themselves on having a great defensive team. Now, the Lakers, especially early in the season, you don't want to show your hand, right? If they have to face this team, why show them their hand in January if they don't have to? Okay? And that, to me, is the the tell all of this game is that it was clear. It wasn't just a good first quarter. He had a good second quarter. Joel Embiid had a dominant game last night mm-hmm. and it didn't matter who was on him. That's not an accident. Yeah. And I mean, he got to the free throw line 13 times. Um, he actually, you know, he, Eight for 18 from the floor is not typical Embiid, but at the end of the night, you're looking at 28 points, 13 trips mm-hmm. to the line, and it starts with him. And then Tobias Harris, who has made just 
to me, the the biggest yes, Embiid has improved. Yes, he's in better shape. Yes, Ben Simmons is in a nice groove right now, and he had a triple double last night. But Tobias, to me, has uh, is becoming a different player. I think there's a great comfort level there with him and Doc from when Tobias was with him with the Clippers. But I mean, ten for sixteen for twenty four points, including the game winner. That's a that's a if pretty. Joel Embiid pretty, is the most dominant player. If Joel Embiid is that player, Ben Simmons, I'm not asking you to shoot threes. I'm just asking you to facilitate and do what you pace, do, which is pace, pace. all of those things. Now Tobias Harris can fit in to do what Tobias Harris. He doesn't have to play against double teams. He's not the first option, but he can exploit matchups. Tobias Harris is a really, really good NBA player. But it requires, it requires, go ahead, I'm just saying this last thing. It requires that Joel Embiid is a top five dominant player, though. That's the key to all of this. Do you think with how rarely we see the ball go into the post in crunch time that Tobias Harris is slowly becoming this closer for this team? The closer has to, be, to, Joel, go- has to be Joel Embiid. Has okay. to be. Joel Embiid shoots a very high percentage from the free throw line. Joel Embiid is a very capable passer, and he's obviously a load in the post to defend. Now, the only thing that I saw last night that was of concern is when the defense turned up, as the Lakers turned up their defense, they extended their defense well past half court. Philadelphia got a little rattled. They did not have a player that could take the ball and get Mm. to places on the floor to get the ball to their best player, which is Joel Embiid. That, to me, was the only concern that I have with the game. They got a little rattled. They, You know, you saw uh, Ben Simmons having a nice flow to the game, and suddenly he was turning his back in the last two minutes of the game. Suddenly, Joel Embiid catching the ball on the post, suddenly now he's catching it at the three-point line. So the Lakers' defense was of concern to them, and I'm going to watch for that because other teams clearly saw what I saw, and now it's going to be interesting to see if other teams now are not going to wait until the fourth quarter or the last four minutes of the game to turn up the defense. Maybe you extend your defense through the course of the game because they did not have a player that could handle the defense. Right, And it's very rare that you can have a primary ball handler for the entire 40 minutes. The, the, the 76ers did not have a secondary ball handler to alleviate any of the pressure that was being you know, uh, shown by the Lakers. That's of concern yeah, a great, to me. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, right now, behind Simmons, I mean, who is that, who is that next guy to handle – is it, Cur- is it Seth Curry? Is it Seth Curry? Is it Tobias is it, Harris? Is it, is it Shake Milton? Yeah, I mean they don't. They, they're not overly deep in that area, um, and obviously Seth Curry having a very good start to the year. Most of that is shooting, so uh, we will see. But um, it, it's nice to see some of these, uh, you know, these teams separating themselves, and then when they meet seeing some, uh, some competitive games or a game end with the team uh, rallying back to make it interesting. Philly ultimately wins it at the end. We'll, 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 close, the, uh, we'll close this show with more Lakers. But uh, I want to pivot to the 
the Utah Jazz. Hmm. And they uh, have been talked about a lot this week, some of which for what's gone on on the court, some of which, of course, what's gone on uh, off the court with the Shaq Donovan Mitchell moment. We're going to uh, leave that to the side today. Um, Utah is uh, right there behind the Lakers. And, um, of course, the Clippers are right up there, too. But a 13-4 and four start to the season. Um, Donovan Mitchell is being Donovan Mitchell. Mike Conley is um, a different player from last year. They've got six guys in double figures. Jordan Clarkson is uh, having the best season of his career coming off the bench. He wants to win the sixth man of the year award. So uh, I've got more here to, to go through, but with all that and how Utah is playing, BJ, what's your uh, reaction right now to the Jazz? The Jazz have a very good ball club and they have very good players. They have two all-star players and Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. If there's any concern that I have for this team and looking at their roster is depth. They really don't go past six. Okay. And that's what, you know, you got Joe Ingles who uh, is, is, is a really nice complimentary player of what he does yeah. and what he brings. I mean, he's savvy. He's like a Jack of all trades. He ball handles, he initiates, he defends. Shoots the three. Shoots the three. He does those things. But the Jazz have a – they have – they really have two problems that is of concern as you begin to get to the playoffs. One is depth. You have to, in my opinion, you got to have the depth. You got to be at least – or you try to be at least too deep at every position. Reason being is because, you know, you, you, the way the game is played now, you got to have a certain level – you got to have a certain amount of players or a certain level of play that you try to maintain because you can't rely on that one player to play 38, 40 minutes in the regular season. Like you would, you know, you would, you tend to change the rotation in the playoffs. And the second thing that seems to always catch up with them in the playoffs is athleticism in particular at the wing. Hmm. Athletic players at the wing seem to bother them. Okay. So you say, well, what, what about Donovan Mitchell? Donovan Mitchell is a very athletic player, but he's only about six, three. He's not as big as Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, and those players. I mean, those guys are six, eight and above. Joe Ingles is not the most athletic player, terrific defender. Athleticism is going to do what athleticism does. Limited. Yeah. Limited. You know, Waste O'Neal is going to give you, Nice role player. He's he's going to give it to you, Bardanovich and all of those things. So they seem to always run up against that, you know, level of ability as you get, as you start to get into the playoffs and it becomes a matchup for them. But Rudy Gobert, he erases a lot of their mistakes on the defensive end because he is a terrific rim protector, a terrific defensive player. And when you occupy him in the playoffs and you keep him occupied by putting him in the screen roll up top and so forth, so he can't just sit back and rim protect, it seems to be a problem. You know, if you recall, they were up 3-1, I believe, against the Denver Nuggets. 
and the Denver Nuggets were able to make an adjustment. And one of those adjustments was, is not allow Rudy Gobert to just sit back and rim protect. He's got to come out now and defend. And Jamal Murray was sensational. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I sensational. remember when we were discussing that. He theory. was sensational. So I want to get excited because they're playing well. We should recognize them playing well. They deserve all this credit. But when you get to the playoffs, Rudy Gobert is going to have to come out and step out and defend screen role because he's going to have to defend either Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, and those players are different, a little different than the players that, you know, they got a nice winning streak going here right now, or you're not game planning for them right now. Okay. So sure. I don't want to get too far ahead. I don't want to take away anything, but I can assure you, my friend, if I'm playing or game planning against this team, I'm going to attack Rudy Gobert. <laughs> yep. and I'm going to attack Rudy Gobert and I'm going to, and if I have athletic players on the wing, I'm going to try to expose their athleticism because they're not the most athletic team on the wing. Very nice players. But, you know, some of those guys are a little different. So that seems to be their Achilles heel of what's going to be needed. They're going to have to address their depth. I think they're going to need another wing, athletic wing player that can defend those type of players and be able to defend screen role because that will be, that will be in the game plan as you're game planning versus the Utah Jazz. So a name that just popped into my head that I would imagine would work perfectly with them is Trevor Ariza. And I've lost track of where Trevor Ariza is because he's changed teams so many times the last two or three years. Uh, Johnny L, dump that in the chat when you have a moment. But Trevor Ariza would be an interesting um, addition to that team. Obviously, we've got plenty of time before these buyouts and uh and and moves before the deadline happened um let me ask you about mike conley real quick bj last year obviously had trouble getting comfortable uh new environment in many ways a new role um now it's his second season he's really playing uh better basketball seems more comfortable seems more efficient um how much does uh how much does the second year make a difference in terms of well, comfortability in a, in a new place, especially when you were somewhere else for so long. Look, every player's goal, whether they are aware of it or they put it in whatever terminology you want to put in, every player's goal is the following, is to become a pro. I want to become a professional. And what does that mean? That means you do what you do every single night that's what a pro that's what a pro does what makes steph curry a great shooter that's what he does he's just not hot he's open he makes shots lebron james it's, you know you do what you do mike conley is a pro <laughs> okay like no mike conley hasn't been playing he's not playing well this year mike conley has been playing well his whole career this is what he do now he goes to a different system. He's fitting in or whatever. 
okay, Mike Conley, suddenly he's adjusting. You know, you make adjustments as a pro. He's played his first, I don't know, eight, ten years or whatever it is down there in Memphis, and all of a sudden you put him in a different environment, family, so forth and so on, new system. Mike Conley is a pro. So I'm not concerned about professionals because they will figure it out. Okay, he, got a, he had a bad first half. Okay, he's a pro. At the end, he'll still have 20 points, 10 assists, or whatever. So this isn't new for Mike Conley. I think what it is, is it, 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 in today's game, will Mike Conley make enough threes to offset all of those other players that he's got to face in the playoffs? Hmm. Great point. That, Great that's point. That, that, that's that, that's my that's my question. Mike Conley, at the end of the day, is going to have anywhere between sixteen to twenty points. But today's game, these guys are getting. I mean, Jamal Murray was like scoring at a clips last year, and Damian Lillard and Steph Curry and Kyrie Irving. These guys are thirty-five plus. So will Mike Conley score enough points in particular from distance to offset what those guys are doing? Because he's not the primary ball handler or scorer on that team, but he's got to hold them accountable. They can't have 35, 40, 45, and he only has 15. That's a plus (laughs) 25 on the other end or plus 30. Will he hold these guys off is my question. Because when I look at this Utah Jazz, Mike Conley missed like the first two or three games of the series. And Donovan Mitchell. Uh, The season or the series last year? The series in the playoffs. Yeah, against Denver. Against Denver. Donovan Mitchell offset Jamal Murray. That, Mm -hmm. to me, is the key. Because this thing now of point guard, lead guard, and all that, it no longer is, it, it doesn't exist. These guys aren't point guards. These guys are scoring guards of some sort that we have to address. And if this guy is scoring 35 points a game in the playoffs, which these guys are doing now consistently because small ball is here, Eric, we got to offset it. I personally, if you're asking me, I like Donovan Mitchell as my starting point guard. Why? Because Donovan Mitchell is going to play downhill. And in today's game, you got to have a point guard who's going to play downhill. That's what I like. Just like what Mike D'Antoni did with James Harvey. Took him from the two position, put the ball in his hand, and let him play downhill. Let Donovan Mitchell play downhill. Why? Because the other team is going to have to address that issue of how to stop him in transition, how to stop him in screen roll, how to stop him if the guy gets rolling. And he's a big enough body where he can play size-wise with those guards. Yeah. I like Pressure's that. always I, on. I, I, Pressure's I, I, always I, on that's, when he's attacking. That's, we can say what you want to say. In today's game, you better have a lead guard who can play downhill because they say, Eric, and I'm, and I'm a firm believer now, Pace and space. There's something to that pace. And if you, if your lead guard is not a scoring guard or has the ability to break the team down and drive and kick and all those things, it puts you at a significant disadvantage. Just ask the Clippers. Ask the Clippers. Mm. 
So I like, I like Donovan Mitchell. I, I like Mike Conley. I like Mike Conley. But will Mike Conley score enough points? Playing alongside Donovan Mitchell, the answer for me is no. He's not going to score enough points. But if you put Donovan Mitchell there, now you can offset all those other guards. And now it puts an un- unusual amount of pressure on the other team to make the adjustment. That's just me as I look into the playoffs and how to win. Because Mike Conley and Schroeder, they're going to offset each other. Mike Conley versus Donovan Mitchell now, the Lakers got to make an adjustment. Because Donovan Mitchell can overpower Schroeder. He's bigger. Oh, Schroeder can't guard him. No. He, he's just no. bigger. He's, no, he's, that'll, be night, that'll be a nightmare. He's nightmare. bigger. That, that, that's what I'm saying. So, to me, it's about getting the other, finding your advantages on the floor. I want to play with Donovan Mitchell with a full head of steam and say, you know what? Because Donovan Mitchell was, I mean, his first two or three games of the playoffs last year, you, you were like, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. New gear. New you, gear. Was, you was like, oh, wow. You were like, oh, wow. And, and, and that's how you play. I mean, what's the difference between him and Jamal Murray? What's the difference? Like, let these guys just do what they do. That's, you know, but, but again, that's what I see because I like this Utah Jazz team, but how are you going to get out of the first round? I don't want Donovan Mitchell having to play against LeBron James. Why? That's not an advantage for my team. But if he has to play against the point guards, I like that. No, true. It's true. And speaking of pace and space, they're, uh, they're on pace for the most threes made per game in NBA history. Who's right this, now. Utah? They're making, Utah, making 16.6 threes per game on almost 40% shooting. Um, you know, last night's just one game out of 72, but Donovan right now is in concussion protocol, and they still put up 116 points. Yeah. So it was against Dallas. But that's a good sign for their team. Um, before we close, and, and again, we're talking mostly on the court, but, you know, this whole thing with Shaq and Donovan and everyone else chiming in, and I don't even want to talk about the specifics of this. I just want to get your viewpoint on the entertainment value here going on of the guys from, you know, your era or even more recent who are out of the game now who are part of the media or have their own shows or whatever. And we seem to have this constant butting of the heads between the old school and the new school. So I just want your opinion on um, how this sits with you and if you get a kick out of this stuff, because all I can do is sit back and laugh. Yeah, I, I, I don't take this serious. And when I look at today's game, I have to be very careful to say this. When I look at today's game, Eric, I can't look at it from the lens of when I played or yesteryear. Sure, sure. A star in that era might not be a star in this era because of the way the game is played. There are so, only so many players that will transcend any era. Like, it didn't matter what era Larry Bird played in. It didn't matter. Doesn't matter. Larry Legend. It's, it's, it's the legend, you know. It, it, does it really matter get, what era? Come, come get some. Yeah. Come get some. Did it really come matter what, what era Michael Jordan played in? Didn't matter. It, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't. It, I don't care if he played in the forties. I don't care if he played now. Didn't matter. Okay. 
the way the game was played today, Eric, a center like Rick Smith, he's pretty good in my era. In this era, he'd have to be out there shooting threes. <laughs> Maybe he was Porzingis. Maybe he's Porzingis today. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Can you can you imagine poor Rick Smith being thrown into these pick and rolls on the defensive end? This is what I'm saying. Like you you know what I mean? The Dutchman. The Dutchman. So, hold on. Let me test your memory. Rick Smith played at which college? Is it Maris? I think. think Oh wow! Without hesitation. Yeah, yeah, I I was I was he Rick Rick Smith. Man, you know the bigs of that era. Maybe doesn't fit in this era, and vice versa. Sure. You know, vice versa. Pat- maybe, Patrick, maybe. Pat, listen, Patrick Ewing, Rick Smith, David Robinson, Ronnie Cycli, Robert Parrish, Alonzo Mourning, they're not working on pick and roll coverage and, and practice. And, and, and yeah. So, you know, like, like you know, you take a player, you take a player like, let's take a player, let's take a player at the highest level in this era. Dirk Nowinski played the game in this era at the highest level. He, I mean, Hall of Famer, first ballot. Guy played arguably played in three different eras of the NBA. Okay, incredible, incredible career. One team, you can't say enough. I mean, a pro's pro, pro, right? Okay. Now let's put him in that era. Okay. Against Oakley. And 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 Buck Williams. (laughs) Oh, you've got you've got you've got a young Dirk coming in with that frame frame in nineteen ninety three. Under those rules and and those rules with those rules. Now you know you can't you can't just say play it against those players. In those Those rules rules. against Rick Mahorn, Jeff Rulin, Barkley, Carl Malone, the way those guys were playing back then. I don't know. If Dirk, no, I, I do know Dirk Nowitzki wouldn't be the player that we're talking about today. He would have to be a totally sure. different player. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm. The 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 story of that is is part of how we introduce Kevin Garnett from prep to pro in the film, 1995. He's coming in the league and he's playing against all these guys, and he is a skinny 19 year old kid yeah. who has lip, now, leapt from high school to the NBA. I'm, and look, Dirk would have figured it out. But he wouldn't have been this dirt where he's shooting threes and doing because there weren't coaches saying, hey, we're looking for the stretch four. The four men right. back then were like they were doing the dirty right. work. I it, mean be, besides besides and and you tell me, right? Like as we went into the nineties, besides Bird playing more for his last few years because he just couldn't move like he used to. And obviously shooting the three, I mean, was there anybody else at that time who was stretching the floor like that? Who? Well, you began to see like when Detlef Shrimp came in, you began to see, you began to see, yeah, you you began to see like Derek McKee. You began to see a little right. bit of it. Those, you know those what I mean? guys. Like yeah. Paul Pier- uh, Paul Pressey and those guys. You began to see it a yeah. little bit. You know what I mean? You, you, know, you began to see a look. But it wasn't like it is today. Okay. So let's bring this full circle back to Shaq, Donovan, old school, new school, I, and I, the entertaining I, I, part of this. The, the one thing that has kept me fresh is that when I watch the game, it forces me to watch the game through their lens. 
it forces me to watch the game through their lens. Like, if I watch the game from my lens and I said, oh, okay, I saw Kobe Bryant. I saw Michael Jordan. I saw Clyde Drexler. I saw Magic Johnson in his prime. I saw all of these. I saw Larry Legend. I saw Charles Barkley. I saw David Robinson, Akeem Olajuwon. I saw all of these players. The mistake is to keep putting today's game under today's rules and the way they play today, evaluating them on what I saw. Because let me assure you, my friend, if Michael Jordan, who was the best player I ever played with, he would have to play different today to have the same effect on today's game. Because the three ball, my friend, is a real, real weapon. And I don't care what era you play in. Now, would they not be Hall of Fame players? Of course he would. But if you can't shoot the three in today's game, the three ball is a real, real weapon. It's a real weapon. So I saw Michael Jordan score 60 points with like no threes. That ain't happening if you go win today's game. I don't care how good you were in that era. Today's game, three is worth more than two. You got to shoot it. Now, would he have and, to take more and threes? And before I forget, it also it also allows the defense to, to load up and everywhere else. The way the game the is played, they're playing the game at a different pace. They're playing the game with more space. Everybody would have to make an adjustment in their game if you're going to have the, the effect of winning the game on a consistent basis. That's a fact. So I have made a conscious effort to not watch the game from the game that I play, because that game no longer exists. So when I watch a player like a Donovan Mitchell, there's a reason he plays the way he plays, because Donovan Mitchell has to shoot and play in a certain way that's totally different than that era. Because it, I don't remember guards. I saw some of the greatest shooters ever. <laughs> they weren't shooting from three as often as these guys, off the dribble, out of transition and doing those things on it okay guards in that era they had a post game they could curl i mean you got guards like mitch Mitch richmond jeff malone Malone. oldest bird song you know rolando blackman reggie Reggie miller joe dumars like reggie lewis oh man the list goes on and on can you imagine Drazen playing today with how he shot the three? Well, Can you imagine Drazen today? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. It sounds great, but you got to be able to shoot off the dribble and all of those things. Yep. you got to be able to play screen roll. See, it, th- these guys are playing a different game now. These two guards today, or these lead guards or whatever they are, C.J. McCullough's – whatever they are, they can all play off the dribble, do things, screen roll, step back. I mean, James Harden is doing double step backs. Like, who did? I've never seen anybody do this. So I have made a decision to say, let me watch it for what it is. The mistake that I make or could make, 
and I'm very aware of this, is to watch it through the old lens. It's 2021. It's a new game. When I watch Steph Curry and I watch him doing those things, I never imagined that a player would be able to play like that <laughs> and with that level of freedom. Yeah. I've never, I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen anything like this. The way James Harden plays, Damian Lillard just dribble the ball over half court and shoot it, and everybody be like, oh, that's Dame. I've never seen this before, Eric. So if I continuously evaluate these players watching the game from that lens, that's my mistake. But I certainly know if those players were to come play in that era, hell no, they would be playing the way they play now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But I also know this. Those guys wouldn't be playing. It is the same. Get us go for this era too. Hell no. Those players wouldn't be playing the same. Vice so, versa. So versa. it's vice versa. Yeah. So that's how I look at it. The game is different. Let the 90s be in the 90s. Let these guys play the way they play. And I'm not going to make and fall into that trap and make that mistake of saying, it's it's not the same because if you're playing you gotta there's a reason why the warriors were winning i don't know if you win like that in that era but certainly that era doesn't win playing the way they played in this era you just got to call it like you see it well and and you look at the you look at the run tmc early 90s warriors they were playing run a lot TMC, of this style in many ways, right? Run TMC in this era could very well be they could they could be Golden State Warriors. Literally. They could be the Warriors of this era. Because you can't tell me that Mitch Richmond, Hardaway, and Chris Mullen couldn't play against Draymond Green, uh, Clay Thompson, and Steph Curry. You can't tell me that. You can't you can't tell me. A young Tim Hardaway in this era, Ooh. in this era, them dudes were shooting. They were shooting like that. They had a new bowl in these guys shooting threes and doing things before we kind of really knew what was going on. It was like when you played them, you were like, you couldn't fall into the trap. You had to stay disciplined no. against them. And can, you, can you share? There's a fourth guy that needs to be mentioned from that team. Oh, Sharunas? Can you, yeah. Oh, oh, Can you share yeah, yeah, yeah. how good of a player yeah, yeah. he was? Okay, all right. So let's take Sharunas, Marcelonis. Okay. I love Andre Iguodala. Love him. Like, defend, plays the game at a high, with a high basketball level of intellectually, the way he plays, rebounds, he's versatile, all those things. Sharunas could score that basketball. Sharunas is going to get 15 to 20 points. He was doing it back then when you could guard him with two hands. Okay? He, I he can't imagine like a, what like he – Oh, man, he, he, he's one of the strongest players I ever played against. I can't imagine if you were able to just take him and that team and just put him in today's era because the way they were playing. Rod Higgins and they were shooting threes and Tom Tolbert. and They were playing small ball before we even Tommy, knew what it Tommy was. T. Yeah, they, we, we didn't even yeah. know what it was. Tyrone Hill. Remember all those, remember all those guys they had out there? So Chris Gatling. Chris Gatling. Yeah. So, again, that team probably wasn't built for that era. 
but they were so right. good they could play in that era because they Mitch Richmond, if you want to say Clay Thompson is better than Mitch Richmond, I I I really can't say that. <laughs> I, I can't say that. I can't I can't look at you and say right, right, right. Like Clay Thompson is just, he's a star. He's a Hall of Famer. Mitch Richmond was a problem. <laughs> okay? A real problem. Okay? He's a problem. Mully? Mully is going to get 2025 no matter what. I don't care who he play against. Oh, he can't run. Oh, he can't jump. Oh, he's not strong enough. Oh, okay. When y'all get done, Mully going to get 25. <laughs> you can put that in pen. Not even in pencil. Mully is going to get 25. And let me tell you, my friend, he can shoot. Okay? And let me tell you about that young Tim Hardaway – Flick of the wrist. I ain't Flick saying that, Yeah, I'm not saying Tim Hardaway is going to stop Steph Curry. I ain't saying that. Yeah, but, but I can tell you this. Tim Hardaway. You ain't stopping Hardaway. And Tim Hardaway was built for this era. Tim Hardaway was built for this era. He had handle. He was powerful. Tim Hardaway was explosive. And could he shoot the three. He could. I don't know if he could shoot it, but he was gonna take it. <laughs> <laughs> that was my man, Tim well, Hardaway. Well, yeah, he, he was, and, and he and he and if he was hot, time. if he was hot. So that's what I'm saying. So you you look at these teams and you way they constructed and 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 let's say all of this. You know, you got to look at how the, the game is played. The game is it's a different game, and and that's just one of the teams that I can say that I think would translate in today's game. But when the game slows down in the playoffs, like it normally does, that's where that Warriors team, that team, they kind of struggled, right? They struggled with, you know, the Seattles who had bigger players. They struggled with the Lakers yeah. who had bigger players. They struggled with the Portlands. But certainly they were a problem. And I remember playing against those teams when we play them twice a year. Man, that was one game you had to get your rest because they mm -hmm. were they were playing fast pace, maids or misses. <laughs> hey, hey, Johnny L, when you have a minute, pull up Bulls Warriors both matchups from the '91 season, and I am calling out '91 because the Warriors, as the seventh seed in the West, upset the two-seeded Spurs with all that size in the first round of the playoffs uh, before, I believe, losing to the Lakers in the second round. And then the Lakers went on to upset the Blazers uh, in the conference finals. Or I may be switching up my rounds. Anyway, we'll get that in a moment. But um, Tim Hardaway, uh, BJ, if you remember the... Uh, I don't remember anything, but go ahead. No, no, me. no, no, no. If, if you remember the position the Celtics were in your rookie year, they had uh, an aging Dennis Johnson who retired at the end of your rookie year, the, the spring-summer of 1990. Brian Shaw was in Italy for that year. Mm -hmm. John Bagley... Uh, Bags on the team, Bags, who was a terrific player, um, but of course not uh, an athlete like Tim Hardaway. 
I'm, I'm getting all this to say is the Celtics had Tim Hardaway sitting in their lap, I believe, in the 89 draft. And they drafted Michael Smith from BYU. And I just never understood the logic there. But well, back then, you got to remember. They, they, well, you've never, you, you've never scouted it until you won. But Hardaway did have the knee injury. But I always wondered what it would have been like having. Well, Michael Smith, listen, Michael Smith from BYU. I think he went to BYU, right? I think that's where he went to yep. school. Yeah. Michael Smith was, he, he, I, I was in that draft. Michael Smith was a, was a terrific player. Oh, yeah. This is your draft. Yeah. He, Michael Smith had, yeah, yeah. Michael Smith was a terrific, terrific player. college. He's career. a terrific college player. Right pick. Tim Hardaway was, you know, listen, Tim Hardaway. The, the the theme is life always have a way it works itself out. Putting Tim in a structured system is not going to work. No, I was just thinking about put Tim next to Reggie Lewis and see what those guys putting do Tim in a structured yeah a big a yeah. structured system is not going to work. Okay, no, I know Tim Hardaway was so good. Okay, and I can't say this because you know you 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 learn. Tim Hardaway was was unbelievable. Why? Because he never played with the center. Yeah, Playing with the center, the court, court was, was always open. open. Well, he did well. He did with Zoe, but that was after he lost all. Of yeah, his but he was a different player. Tim was a different yep. player. Yep. Then. He was. He wasn't. I'm talking. I'm talking that young, talking, explosive, yeah, yep. all star yep. Tim Hardaway when he was. Yeah, he he dunked on open. you. Okay. Tim Hardaway played in the right place, the right system, where he was just doing his thing. If you put Tim Hardaway in structure and ask him to be a lead right, right, right. point guard, right, a system point guard, right? No, right, that's right. not ha- that's not happening. Yeah. That, that's not, that, that's, that wasn't Tim's game. Tim had to come down and have some heat checks. My 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 this this sums up Tim Hardaway, and this is when I, I mean I always had the ultimate respect for him because he he just kept coming. The guy was relentless. He was just re- he was he was just gonna come. One night I remember, and I remember, I was watching television and they kept reporting on Tim Hardaway went 0 for 17 one night. Wow, he went 0 for 17, and it was like, oh man, it's the most shots ever. I remember they were reporting on it, the most shots ever missed in an NBA game without making it, and I thought. God, man, this guy has that much confidence to keep shooting. <laughs> yeah. That's the kind of guy you don't want to play against because it doesn't matter if he misses four or five in a row or he makes four or five in a row. This guy has that level of confidence. And I thought, you know what? That's unbelievable. Like, he quickly became one of my favorite players, my colleague, because I was like, this guy can miss 17 shots in a row. I don't know if I ever had that level of confidence in the NBA to miss 17 shots in a row. What was, what was your limit? What was your limit? Look, I, look, I, I played in a different scenario. If I miss like three or four shots in a row, everybody's like, what's wrong with this guy? Like, cause I'm, I was only going to get yeah. six or seven shots. Right. For the most part playing with Jordan and Pippen. And you were taking much different types of shots. Yeah. I, this guy missed 17 shots in a row and didn't hesitate on 18. That to me is, that's what I was like, oh, wow. So 
I had the ultimate respect for this guy because you know what? He didn't have a conscience. He was coming. <laughs> Turn the ball over, short memory. He score on you, short memory. He missed it, short memory. You score on him. That is the NBA that we all, you know, you, 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 you wanted to reach that level of confidence. You know, I've missed 10 shots in a row and I'm still out there talking. Tim Hardaway was going to talk no matter what. You got to respect that. He was that good. Tim Hardaway was literally that good. And when he, in his career, as he aged, he changed his game. He became a three-point shooter. He became more of a facilitator and all of those things. But make no doubt, he would always have games in there that you would see little glimpses of what he used to be. And he, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. He should be a Hall of Fame player. Yeah. He, was, he was an incredible, incredible player in an era where we didn't have a lot of players like him in that era. It's true. And he was, he was going up against Giants. Yeah, and so. he, he was a very, very effective player, and he brought a unique style. And, and you say what you want to. His crossover is arguably Whew. the best one. He's his, his, yep. his crossover was arguably the best one out of all of them. And it's been some incredible ball handlers out here. But I have never seen anyone do it like him. You know, I remember Pearl. I played against Pearl. I played against these guys. Did you? Oh, come on. Played against Pearl, the late Pearl. You know, I played against these guys. You know, I played against AI. I saw, I saw all these crossovers. I played against these guys. I played against Isaiah. Tim Hardaway, his crossover was a little different. <laughs> it was – it hit you a little different, literally. I think um, we may have to develop a, a, a bonus podcast, The Case for Tim Hardaway. I think we just laid down the foundation. Um, yeah, we got to bring back back to the nineties. Let me work on that. Yeah, that's my, your era. That's your, that's, your, that's your era. You know what? You got to let it go. It's a new era. Let's talk about this <laughs> new stuff. You got to let it go. I, I do that. I do that so I get to the best of the best of your story. Yeah, yeah. You got to let. It, you got to let it go. Talk about. All right. Well, we may have to share some uh, some really grainy high school highlights from ninety five, ninety six on our next Zoom. Um, New Orleans Pelicans, BJ, um, in talking about them, um, heading into the season, I remember the feeling, at least from my end was, this is a really interesting situation because I couldn't tell if this team thought it was ready to win now or because of the holiday deal they were willing to take their time with this process in terms of what their uh, internal goals were to be patient, have Stan Van Gundy come in, mold these young players and potentially build a winner. Now they did add Steven Adams and his contract and they are off to a slow six and 10 start. Rumors are circulating about, Lonzo Ball, who we spoke about before the season, because I was actually surprised they didn't extend him, but he'll be a free agent this summer, so they're going to have to decide what to do with him. And, of course, J.J. Redick as well, who I'm sure does not want to be in a situation where he is not competing in the playoffs. So if you're New Orleans right now, knowing what you know about them, knowing what you know about Coach Stan Van Gundy, um, 
how much time are you going to give this with this group before you possibly make some moves and make a decision? Okay, we're going to long game this. We're going to move these vets. We're going to develop guys like uh, Kira Lewis and Nikhil Walker-Alexander. Uh, where, where are you at with this team and, and the timeline? Well, you know, when they brought in uh, Stan, and I've known Stan for many years, you know, Stan is a is, – he has a philosophy about the game and the way the game is played. You know, he, he, he comes from that, what we would consider that old school way of thinking, right? He wants to like smash, smash mouth type basketball, right? He's, you know, he wants to, he wants his guards to be like defensive oriented. He wants to get the ball into the teeth of the defense, whether it's with the post up or what have you. And he wants to play a fundamentally sound game. And when I look at the roster and knowing Stan like I do, I'm saying this team and the way they play it wasn't a reflection of his personality, right? I mean, mm. like, I thought Drew Holiday was the perfect guard for him. That was personally, that's what I thought. I thought Drew Holiday, if you could ever say, who fits better for Stan Van Gundy's personality, Drew Holiday. Like, a veteran. He's tough, can defend poised. with the best of them, poised. He's got experience, okay. yep. so forth and so on. That was the perfect player. But then you look at the roster and you, and you start, you know, you got to like build for the future and all of those things and draft picks. And, and, and I get the business. But sometime, you know, you, the, the business and the future – of basketball, they, 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 they collide. And in this case, I thought Stan Van Gundy's guard of choice, and I don't know this, I haven't talked to anyone there. So I'm just, you know, you asked the question on, on the outside. If I'm a, if I'm a coach and I'm looking at, if I want to win now, I don't trade Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday is a player because of what he does, he will help you win ball. He will help you win ball games. I thought there was a reason that they went out and got Steven Adams because that to me represents the level of toughness that you need to win in this league. You got to have a certain level of toughness. And to me, that was a Stan Van Gundy, you know, saying on what he needs to win. Now, when I look at this roster now, I think the roster at some point, because every coach gets to this point, they're saying, if I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose my style. And I think that's what you're beginning to see right now. I think his personality is beginning to come out and the team is reflecting his personality. That's what I see. You know, you look at Zion. Zion is a very talented player, you know, but he doesn't have a lot of experience. Brandon Ingram is an all-star now. He can help you win games just on the way, what he does on the offensive end. But if you're going to win in this league on a consistent basis, you got to have excellent guard play. It kind of resembles almost now collegiate basketball in some regards because it requires you to have excellent guard play. That's a great point. And right now, I don't think 
that Lonzo's style fits. That's just my personal opinion. I thought Lonzo has made some great strides. Maybe yep. he's injured now or whatever. I don't know. I don't, I don't know any. I'm just watching from afar. But knowing, Stan, you know, he's an East Coast guy. Like, I just thought that Drew Holiday was the perfect guy for him. And, 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 I, and I get the business and all of those things. So I think it's just, it's kind of, everyone's kind of filling each other out. And maybe over time, him and Lonzo get this worked out. Because I think Lonzo is very talented. But I, 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 I do know this. If you're going to win in this league now, you got to have superior guard play. You really do. You really do. You, if you're going to win because of the way the game is played. Because the game now is such a fast game. And it requires your guards to play downhill. That you need a guard who can break the defense down, play in screen roll, and shoot threes. And win his positional battle and defend the opposing team's quality guard. Yes. Yeah. You know, what, what really throws me here is, you know, yeah, they had, a, they had to make a financial – they made a financial business decision with Holiday, which I thought would have led to them saying, okay, then Lonzo is going to be part of the future, which he still might be. We just don't know. Right. I think his game has, has improved noticeably over the last couple of seasons. Um, but, you know uh, – the Pelicans are, are uh, I think, being prudent in terms of letting well, the market they know dictate. Look, they well, they're going to let the market dictate what his contractual value is in the upcoming summer. But is he the right fit for Stan? And is he the right fit and the best guard you could have for what they need with Ingram and Zion? And okay, that's well, a question well, that I don't think anybody knows the well, answer. Well, financially, you, okay, this was Stephen Adams. He's getting paid. Right, right. And Zion do they, and do is they going make, to get paid. And here's a question for you real quick. If they don't make the holiday deal, and I don't know their cap well enough off the top of my head, but if they don't, are they in position to bring in the Adams contract? I'm not sure about that. Exactly. So I think now they are in a financial situation where they're saying they're a small market team. They know they're going to have to pay Zion, right? They're going to have to pay Zion. Random Ingram you know, he's gotten paid already. Yep. So it's just now they becomes financial decisions. So in the end, you have to pay for the performance. And this is a bit, this is the business part of it. This isn't a knock against Lonzo. Lonzo has made strides as a young player. Now he's just got to find the right place for his talent and for his financial situation that I think will help him. That's just me watching from the outside. Now, I don't know this. I'm not, you know, I haven't spoken to anyone down there. But what I can say this, the approach that they took is the wait-and-see approach. If they win and they won, maybe, you know, that pushes them over the top. But clearly now, with this, there will be some concerns. And the one kid came in and he played, he played well in, in Lonzo's absence. Nikhil, the Alexander kid, right? Yeah, yeah. Walker Alexander. Yep. Walker, he played well. Yep. And, and, and the one kid that they drafted from Alabama, Kira, Kira uh, Lewis. Yep. Kira Lewis. Listen, that kid's got speed. That kid's an interesting player. I mean, that kid can go get you 10, 15 points in a game right now. So, but you know what? 
you know, he's in a situation where he's going to have to wait his turn, but he can play. That kid can play. So, you know, they, they, I'm sure they're waiting to see what their options are. I think we all in the media and, and I think we in the media have really put unfair expectations on this team because of all the hype. True. Very true. Very true. I, 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 and, and, and I say this, Zion only played 19 games last year. And clearly when he did play a year ago, we were all excited because you could see the oohs and the ahs and the, the athleticism and the here. But we can't forget, there's no replacement here for experience. Zero. So I think this year we'll find out. Hopefully Zion can stay healthy. You know, he's, he's put up some nice numbers. But it's hard to win in this league. So, you know, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to continue to see, you know, what are they, six and eight, something like that right now? Six and ten. Six, six and, and ten. ten as of Thursday, January 20th. Yeah, so they're six and ten, and you know what? The Let's problem is, the, the problem is with how many teams in the West are going to be competing for that Absolutely. ten play-in spot. And um, they, they've got to at least be in position to compete for that, yeah, in my opinion. Exactly. But I'm so not, I wasn't of, convinced. Couple of a uh, couple of quick things as we wind it down. Um, sticking with the Pelicans, real quick. I'm going to give you a 10 second shot clock in your mind. Okay. And you are going to tell me when I say go, who the three teams are in the league that would benefit most from JJ Reddick's services. Three, two, one. The clock goes. One, two, JJ, um, three, four, five. Well, you know, teams six, that will benefit is seven, good teams. Eight. That nine. have well, the, the the counting is throwing me off. Let's here. let's give let's give you a full shot clock. Yeah, yeah. So the teams that will benefit from JJ right now are the. Following. And I counted up. And <laughs> I counted up instead of counting down. JJ needs to be on a good team that has a chance to win that values what he does, which at this yeah. stage of his career. He is a – he comes in the game, and you know why he's in the game. He's in the game to shoot, all right? So who would, where would he benefit? He would benefit with the Lakers, clearly. He would benefit playing with Milwaukee. That would be a great place for him. That would be a great place for wow. him. And I think also would be a great place for him would be Brooklyn. I think it would be a great place for him. Let him c- come you, off the can bench. You, can you can you imagine you have Joe Harris in one corner and JJ Reddick That's where JJ's at in his career. That's where that's where he's at. You know, like yeah, if sure. I'm asking JJ to defend on a consistent basis, no, that's not where he's at now. JJ now is he is a specialist. He comes in to get you 15 points, but 15, but he's gonna get you 15. I think the best place for is two places I think would he would benefit incredible. He would be incredible. He would be incredible with the Lakers, but he would be magnificent with Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee is like home for him. So he's now, played in Milwaukee before. He played in Milwaukee. He went from uh, Orlando to Milwaukee to the Clippers, I believe. Yeah, he, I mean, he's a, he, he's a championship and caliber he, player. And he still, uh, he still has a residence in Brooklyn. So we see so, how, yeah. <laughs> we'll see how that yeah. works. Yeah, I think I think Lakers, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, those are the places. Minus the county. See, I can he'd, think clearly he'd, now. He'd look good in green. You can think clearly now. Got it. 
It looked, uh, I, of course, I was on Zoom. I could have just done a, a handheld countdown. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, Steph Curry. And if I brought this up to you already, I apologize. But it's a conversation I've been having with a couple of my friends who appreciate great ball like we do. I'm now watching Steph Curry games with the same mindset of how I watched Jordan when he came back for the second three-peat, where I was telling myself, I don't know how long this guy's going to play. I need to appreciate every single moment I can watch this guy play basketball. It's the same way I've been feeling about watching Tom Brady play football the last several years. Um, it's the same way I felt about uh, Pedro Martinez uh, when he was with the Mets at the end of his career. and He had one or two incredible years where he still really could bring that elite stuff. And I'm feeling that way about Steph right now. Um, just knowing he's back and we were joking before the show about, you know, have they righted the ship, but they've clearly made some improvements, uh, since the sluggish start. But, uh, I just wanted to get, take your temperature on how magnificent it is to watch Steph Curry play basketball, uh, every single night. Well, at least every night that they're on. Now, Steph is a very unique player. He's a very unique player for me to watch. As a former player, he's a very unique player for me to watch currently now in the way the game is played because I, I don't recall anyone saying when he was at Davidson that he was going to be this player. No. Okay, now everyone can take credit now. And the thing that I am reminded of every time I watch him is I'm amazed at the consistency in which he shoots the ball and which he makes shots. I'm not impressed with his shooting. I'm impressed with his ability to make these shots. Like, I've seen a lot of shooters. Like, you know, Reggie Miller was a phenomenal shooter. Like, when, when Reggie Miller had a spot-up shot or he was moving around those screens, you knew that was his game. I'm just thoroughly impressed with the difficulty of shots that <laughs> Steph Curry makes these shots that's that's what's really been it's it's really mind-blowing like okay he's the way, just the, the way go ahead go, go ahead, ahead go ahead go ahead i was gonna say the, the way he's creating space with the bounce and then just having enough room to get this thing off and there, when it leaves his hand there's no doubt that's he, that's he, what's he, just amazing he 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 just make like you know when you you know I've, I've played with some really good shooters you know you saw John Paxson or you saw Steve Kerr or you saw Mark Price or you saw Dale Ellis or Craig Heisers yeah, Trent Tucker or, you know you you saw some really good shooters you know saw some guys who could you know you saw Larry Bird you know what I mean they had their rhythm this guy he shoots every way possible. Down screen, up screen, side step, step back, step front, transition, half court, full court, whatever you can think, whatever you can imagine, he can do it. Isolation, screen roll. <laughs> I mean, and he just doesn't take these shots. He makes these shots consistently. So like with confidence. Yeah, so with you'll see a, you'll see a guy get confidence. Yeah, you'll see a guy get hot one night and you'll go like, "God, he just had it going." He has it going every night because that's what he does. Like it, it, I'm just amazed. 
I mean, you know, like some of us can shoot just off the catch. Some could shoot, you know, they shoot off there, you know, put the ball down with their leg, whatever your little rhythm is that gets you going to your play. This guy, his rhythm is half ball will shoot. I don't care how it is. <laughs> he and he makes it. He he makes these shots. So I'm really, he's really surpassed what I thought was possible to shoot and be effective doing it. What I would consider a bad shot for most is a good shot for him. That's what impresses me about him. This yeah. is a, this, these are bad shots, bad odds. He's doing it and you're going, no one should be able to make that shot. And he makes them all consistently. So the consistency of which he takes difficult shots and makes them is one that goes, now, that might be a bad shot for everyone else, but it's a good shot for him. And he does this night in and night out. And he's not a gunner. He's not a guy that just shoots recklessly. He like... No, not in the traditional sense. He no. shoots with a level of responsibility that goes... Because if I was Steph Curry, the way I think, I would just shoot all the time. <laughs> but he passes the ball. He moves without the ball. I've seen Steph Curry pass up a shot and get it to the other guy to get a, get an open shot. He plays the game the right way. And I'll say this, the thing that makes me really attracted to him, it was pointed out to me by my daughter. She was like, dad, why is he always so happy when he plays? He plays the game with a joy. And I thought that was interesting observation by her. He plays yep. the game with a certain amount of joy that just makes you like enjoy the game. Like, he has every reason to be cocky or I'm the best. I mean, he's like, Oh, it's pure love. And it's he, contagious. He, you can tell. It's he contagious. just, it's, it's like you watch it and you go, I mean, he makes a shot and he jumps up and down as if like, he didn't expect to make it. Like, <laughs> like you're like, you're like, you want to say like, Hey, do you know you're Steph Curry? <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh yeah. But, but his, his joy and his reactions to his make, they juice. Everyone else yeah, in that he, uniform. He, and I'm watching I'm watching these young players who came to the team since the championship window temporarily closed for them with the injuries and the changes. I'm watching Wiseman, I'm watching Ubre and Wiggins and Pascal, and they are sharing in this joy and they're now starting to believe that, you know, they can They've they've turned the tide a bit. They're ten and eight. They've, we've got a long way to go, but we're seeing some improvements. And uh, he's just he's he's beautiful to watch. So I, I appreciate. Yeah, you he he really expanding is. on that. And and I want to say this too. You know, he is without question the present, but they have that young kid over there, James Wiseman. And I want to oh, say boy. this, and it must be said: James Wiseman is the future. He's a star. He's a star. He, and he's going to be a star of stars. James Wiseman has an unfair advantage right now because he's getting an opportunity every single day to learn what it means to be a star in this league and how to be a star. And when two or three years from today, Steph Curry, you know, he's a back-to-back -back MVP. I mean, he's... 
best yeah. of the best. And and he's got a hell of a mentor too in yes. um, Draymond. Yeah, but Dre's um, Wiseman, without question, is the future. And that young man there is going to put something up in that new building. I don't know what he's going to put up there. I don't know if it's going to be a conference championship, an NBA championship, yeah. but he's going to put just, something up in that building because he, my friend, is a star, okay? Don't forget, this kid only played three games, one year yeah. removed from the collegiate game. No training camp, no nothing. And what he's doing is n nothing short of a miracle. Did you see him work out at all? Didn't have to see him work out. Some of no, them I'm you just, don't have to see. No, I'm just, yeah. I'm just, no, I'm just curious. Were you ever in the gym watching him um, either before he I, was at I Memphis him. I watched him for the, about 30 seconds in, in, at Memphis. In the three, I, I think he only played two or three games. I watched him. I just yeah. saw him on my television. Got him. About three no, seconds. I, was, I, I saw him in the gym because I was doing a – a shoot with Penny and they were filming him do practice and Wiseman was still on the team and I'm standing on the side watching this guy work out. And I was just, I, I was, I was absolutely yeah, amazed that, by that the athleticism, kid there, the strength. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. He, he Crazy. doesn't, you don't have to see much of him to know, but he yep. is a star of stars. What Will I was going to say, what I was going to say is I just hope that we can see this group with clay next year to just see how we could come together obviously there's going to be different financial moves but man well at least steph clay wiseman draymond and then the Ubre wiggins thing is going to be interesting but i, yeah. I think wiggins is playing better ball and Ubre, of course is uh is coming out of that shooting slump so um last thing for the day and um there's arguably no better thing to talk about in uh, sports or basketball. Saturday night, BJ, <laughs> eight thirty Eastern, five thirty Pacific. We've got oh, Lakers. God. We've got Celtics. Celtics, I do. Uh, you hold, know. On, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here we go. Here we go. First, where for you? My yeah. question for you is: How special is this rivalry? And what is the top Celtics Lakers memory that you have when you were growing up watching the game, paying attention before, let's say top Lakers Celtics memory before you go on to uh, play for Iowa. What is it? Okay. First let's, let's get how special I, I think it's been great for the game, right? You need rivalries, you need competition. Certainly Bill Russell, and, and that, that group, what they were able to do, right? What, what they went, 11? Is that what they did? 11? 11, 11, yeah. 11 of 13. 11 of 13. Uh, okay. That, that, okay. And, and I want to frame it this way, too. I'm so excited about it, not just because of the, the historical aspects of it, right? But because now we've got multiple generations are going to be on the court Saturday night in terms of guys that have played in the league who are now participating you know, now it's, right. it's Tatum and Brown are in it now. Kemba's in it now. Marcus is in it. Anthony Davis is in it. Schroeder and Trez for the first time. Like, I'm, I'm just super amped about all these different talents. Um, and, and, and obviously LeBron from the older generation uh, in the league. 
And that's what's got me juiced. Back to you. Yeah. Um, the thing that's always been impressive is that they've always had star players. Like, Red Arbeck was able to identify star players. Like, like, like no other. <laughs> he identified Bill Russell. He identified Larry Bird. He identified these players. And that, to me, is what's been impressive. Out here in L.A., they identified they need star players. Whether that was Will Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, James Worthy, Kobe Bryant, now LeBron James. You know, that to me is the most impressive thing. Like, I, I never really got into the rivalry part because I wasn't from L.A. and I wasn't from Boston. But I was always intrigued about, well, why are these guys better? What do they do what's so much better? Like, why is Bill Russell winning 11 championships? What is he doing, Dad? What is John Havlicek doing that's a little different? Like, why are they always celebrating? Now, playing and watching that, my, my vivid memory was always the Magic Johnson-Larry Bird rivalry because Magic is from the Detroit area. He's right there from Lansing. But I vividly, yeah, I vividly remembered this game, the Boston Massacre, the 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 the, the game. Nineteen eighty-five. They NBA beat the Lakers by one. like thirty. I was a Lakers fan growing up. Okay, and they beat the Lakers like by I don't know thirty some point. I mean, they crushed them. They crushed them. Forty something points. Okay, they crushed them. And all I remember was because my guy. My, or my dad's guy. I was really just there with my dad because my dad was a Lakers fan. So I was a Lakers fan. And Kareem played – I remember Kareem played awful. I just remember he was awful. And I, and I remember – I think it was Tommy Heinsohn, you know, rest in peace, said, oh, everyone was saying, oh, he's done. Kareem is the The old man is done. Celtics are going to win. And I didn't know. I, I was just watching the game with my dad. And my dad was like, oh, this is not looking good. And I remembered that. And I, and I, I just remember, and, and I remember, you know, L.A. sucks. Or beat L.A., whatever beat they're LA. Like, Beat L.A., beat whatever. LA. Like. Beat L.A. And Kareem goes on, if I remember, I think he was MVP of the series. If I he wins finals MVP. MVP. So let me, let, me, let me give the context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 that's my memory. Yeah. Right. The Celtics win the championship in 84 in that physical series where all that crazy stuff happens. Henderson Steele, Mikhail lays out Rambus, overtime game four, win it in seven. The next year, the Lakers come back on a mission and all the hype and, and all the anticipation. And they come out in game one in Boston and they get smoked. And I just looked up the score, 148 to 114. And everyone is burying Kareem and saying the Lakers aren't tough enough and they can't win in Boston. And the Lakers come back, and um, they win four out of the next five and win the series, including, like, like slaying all demons from Laker history, winning game yeah, six right. in the Garden and right. closing it out. And Kareem was the MVP. Yeah. And that famous shot of him with the deep sky hook on the baseline and running that, that, back that, down that, the that, that's, like what, that. that's what I remember. Yep. That yep. is 
Like, I remember because I remember what they said about him, and I remember very proud it, was, man. It, it was like whatever he had inside of him as a kid, I felt that. I don't know what it was. Mm. I, I just remember whatever was inside of him of watching him get crushed to suddenly being the most valuable player in the series from game one to game six or whatever they, whatever that, however long yep. games that they, yep. they played. That is, that, that made an impression on a young kid. Like, okay, he had a bad game and he like faced all of his demons. And it wasn't like he was just playing for himself. It was like, he was playing for, I felt like he was playing for me. I, I felt oh, part he of was it. Playing for, he was playing for Jerry West. He was playing, playing for, for Elgin Baylor. Baylor. He, he was, was playing, he was playing for all, of those uh, those past Lakers who couldn't beat the Celtics, and, and uh, um, it's funny. Yesterday, um, I just I just needed a, a, a mental break, and um, there was this Bill Russell, uh, Mr. Russell's house, where Bill Simmons went to visit Bill Russell. Must be four or five years ago. Um, unfortunately, Mr. Russell's health hasn't been um, the right. best the last few years but he was still like very energetic and up and about and he's touring Simmons through the house and they have a whole conversation about things and they're talking about Wilt and they're talking about uh, Russell's last game, uh, which is the 1969 NBA finals game seven in the forum. And I'm sure you remember the story mm -hmm. from you know, watching the videos where Russell finds the pregame pamphlet, and it has the whole rundown of this is how the Lakers celebration is going to go after the game. And they've got balloons in the ceiling and all this. And Russell takes it back to the locker room and he's player coach at this point. And he shows it to the guys and Russell talks about that game and the fact that there's just no way that him or the Celtics were going to let themselves lose to the Lakers and, and what it meant to all of them. And um, it just seems like BJ with each era of this and obviously the seventies, they didn't play in the finals. Um, but it all, of course, still meant something. And the Lakers won their first title um, in L.A. Uh, as the Lakers uh, in the 1970s. Um, but they did not beat the Celtics. They beat the Knicks. So, yeah, there are a lot of people who uh, really, really celebrated when the Lakers won that series. And um, that's 84-85 is like my first, like I'm watching games with dad and I'm remembering – certain things and then the videos come out shortly after and then I'm watching everything. So I feel like I actually watched it as it happened. Like obviously uh, six and seven can only remember so much. The real shame of that era is they play in 84. They play in 85. Celtics win 84. Lakers win in 85. In 85, Cedric Maxwell is banged up. He's not himself. Bird's a little banged up, not an excuse, but that's the off season where the Celtics get Bill Walton. And the next season, they're arguably the greatest team we've ever seen. And that would have been the ultimate Celtic-Laker matchup with that Celtic team healthy if the Lakers could have gotten there. And, of course, they are upset by that crazy Ralph Sampson shot to Elijah Wan and Sampson in the finals. And then, of course, the 87 series is classic, which uh, is highlighted by the magic hook, and the Lakers win that in seven. So, as you can see, I've been waiting to talk about this for a while. Yeah, so, a, a little bit. I see. I see. A little bit. A little bit. But, you know, it, what's interesting with, you know, what I'm doing with the, the KG film, and then we had uh, we had 
Kendrick Perkins on all the smoke uh, recorded on Monday at the top of the week. And I'm saying to myself, I'm like, all right, we had KG, we had Paul, we had Rondo, we have Perk. I mean, we've got four Celtics that played two times against the Lakers in the finals and just like talking about their experiences with it. And obviously Paul being from, uh, from LA and growing up a Lakers fan and, and then winning a finals MVP against Kobe and the Lakers. It's just uh, so many great memories. And it's, it's crazy that LeBron James had these playoff battles with the Celtics in Cleveland and then had those great battles when he went to Miami, when he got over the hump. And then back with Cleveland, he's eliminated the Celtics from the playoffs. Um, I think it's three times. And now he's a Laker. And it's Lakers Celtics with LeBron and all these young guys. It's, it's wild. Yeah, you're it's loving crazy. it. You're, 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 lo- you're fired up. You're fired up. It's the best thing about being a fan is to, to be able to enjoy this. And you know how much I love the history of everything. So. It's very cool. So I'll be uh, I'll be texting you every seven minutes on Saturday night. Got to figure out what gear I'm gonna wear. Yeah, Big yeah. Decisions I mean, Big decisions here. Yeah, I mean, wear your lucky gear because you know what? You don't yeah, want to jinx your team. You don't want to jinx your team. No, I don't. I don't. And now I'm afraid I've already jinxed them ahead of time. But uh, hopefully they're uh, they're all able to play. Both teams are at full strength, and uh, we saw two really exciting games last season. Uh, we, of course, didn't get the Celtic Laker final in the bubble that uh, we wish could have happened. At least I do. But it'll be uh, it'll be a good one Saturday. But uh, heck of a show. We're coming in at 90 minutes on the head. Today, All right. Friend. Okay. This was terrific. Um, and uh, we'll pick it up next week. Good stuff. Oh, real quick. Uh, I won't press you for your Super Bowl pick yet. But I will uh, never bet your, against Brady. That's all I'm saying. There, I, I, there, I, 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 there, leave it. I, I'm just. I'm, I'm leaving. Uh, I'm leaving it alone. Like you know what? Yep. I don't mess with Brady. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I don't. You know what? Yep. May the best team win. But I'm not. I'm not betting against Brady. I don't know what that guy does. I don't know who he is. I don't know where he's from. I just leave him alone. You know what? I just like. I don't hey, know what his business is. is. I, I, uh, <laughs> his business hey, is winning. <laughs> my, 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 my family, my wife is a, a Packer fan. Ooh. And I just said, hey, I don't know what's going to happen when y'all play uh, Tampa Bay, but I'm not betting against Brady. So I just leave him alone. I don't know what's going to happen in the yeah. Super Bowl. I know I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be good. But I'm yep. just gonna leave Brady alone. Like I'm just gonna watch just the, game. the game. I'm just, just gonna enjoy, enjoy the game. game. I, I don't. I don't mess with Brady. So just, just let it be. Let let let, let him it. let him be. You know what I mean. And if whoever's supposed to win is gonna win, but I'm not messing with him though. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't even talk about the guy. He's he's, you know. I I don't. I don't mess with him. You just just leave yep. him alone. Like who's playing? Oh well, he's playing. Just leave him alone. Just there you go. There you go. Good stuff. Special thanks, as always, to the one and only Bruce Bernstein, Mike Lieber, John Lichtenstein, Johnny L, producing the show with us, editor Tom Phillip, and the entire Pure Hoops media family. Be sure to check out the Mike Wise Show, dropping each and every Monday. Full court with Fisher and Kay, talking college hoops on Tuesday, 3-2-1. Catch and shoot, 2.0. Otto Strong, Aaron Berlin. Wednesdays, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King Lucor Thursdays, and the Pure Roost Podcast, BJ Armstrong and yours truly, Eric Newman, each and every Friday. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games. Enjoy Lakers Celtics. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Stay pure.
The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.